Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hello, folks, and welcome to Adam Ruins Everything, the podcast. I am your host, Adam Conover. You may also know me as the host of Adam Ruins Everything on True TV, and you can find clips and full episodes of that show at truetv.com slash Everything and the Watch True TV app. On this podcast, I talk to researchers, academics, experts, journalists, fascinating folks from around the world about the work they do and why it is so important and why it's going to blow your mind. Today's guest is Arjun Srinivasan, who appeared on Adam Ruins Hospitals, where he talked about antibiotic resistance. Now, uh, you guys have probably heard a little bit about this topic. You probably want to know more. You probably want to know whether the uh, resistant bacteria apocalypse is coming. And, uh, well, as you'll hear in this interview, it kind of is. And at the very least, if we don't reform our practices, we risk undermining modern medicine itself. Uh, And Arjun is going to walk us through it. Uh, He is an MD. He's the Associate Director for Healthcare-Associated Infection Prevention Programs at the CDC. That's the Centers for Disease Control, folks. We are so happy to have him join us from Atlanta. Let's get to the interview. Arjun, thank you so much for being on the show. It's my pleasure, Adam. So I do have one introductory question. On our show, you are you are an MD, correct? That's right. But you also appeared in uniform, which I was like, wait, I know that there are people in the U.S. government who are doctors and are in uniform. But what I'm just curious, what is what is your job? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So I am a captain in the United States Public Health Service. And the Public Health Service is a group of health professionals. We have all types of healthcare professionals. There are physicians and pharmacists and nurses and physical therapists. Uh, All of us are dedicated to improving the nation's health. And we wear the uniform as an outward symbol of what we do. We are in all of the different federal agencies. So there are many uh, hundreds of us who work here at CDC, but there's also public health service officers in the Indian Health Service, at FDA, at NIH. Uh, And all of us are health professionals dedicated to improving the health of the nation. And the Surgeon General, of course, is the commanding officer for the public health service and the most visible figure uh, from the public health service. Ah, yeah. But but it's one of those positions that I think a lot of people are curious curious about like oh hold on why is the why is the surgeon also a general that right we, and we never quite satiate that <laughs> curiosity it just lives in the back of your mind for a couple decades that's right that's right 
Well, I'm glad we've had a chance to satisfy that. <laughs> <laughs> well, so let's talk about let's talk about antibiotics. That is your uh, specialty. I, I I know, and but they're also I know that these are the most some of the most commonly prescribed drugs. But uh, it's really striking to me how little understood they are, or, or how to use them properly. That, that's right. I think among medications, they're probably the most commonly prescribed medication, both in, in hospital settings and outside of hospital settings. You know, just to give you a sense of scale, in the United States, in, in clinics like your doctor's office and your pediatrician's office, we prescribe enough antibiotics for five out of every six Americans to get a prescription for antibiotics every single year. Wow. In the hospital – just over half of every patient who gets admitted to a hospital is going to get an antibiotic during their hospital stay. So these are medications that are incredibly commonly used. And there and this is also one of the most revolutionary, you know, medical inventions ever, right? I mean, antibiotics are responsible for saving. I mean, how many untold are we up in are we up in the billions of lives yet in terms of how many lives were saved or you know, cer- certainly in the millions. I don't think yeah. we could even count how many lives have been saved. And and yes, I, I don't think it's it's hyperbolic to say that, you know, if you're gonna make a list of medicines that have fundamentally transformed the world, there is nobody who wouldn't put antibiotics either at or near the top of that list. They have not only saved millions of lives over the last 60, 70 years, but they have completely transformed the way that we deliver medicine. So we can do things like cancer chemotherapy. You know, chemotherapy, the challenge with chemotherapy is that it knocks out your body's ability to fight infections. That is unbelievably dangerous to do if you don't have antibiotics to treat Mm. those infections that might arise. We can do surgeries that were previously too dangerous to do because of the way they might have posed risks for infections. All of the drugs you see advertised now, you you turn on the nightly news. You know, my kids like to joke that you you can't watch the nightly news without seeing drugs, uh, advertisements for for different medications. And a lot of those ones you see now are things like for rheumatoid arthritis and psoriatic uh, psoriasis all of those weaken your immune system. And Mm. all of those can be used much more safely because we have antibiotics. We know that if you get an infection, the odds are that we can treat it. But at the same time, these drugs are almost a a natural – well, not a natural resource, but they're a resource that we're running out of, correct, or that we're at risk at running out of? They they really are. And and we think of them – You know, they, they really are fundamentally different from Every other drug that we use, Adam, because they are a finite resource. You know, bacteria develop resistance to antibiotics, and that's that's just what they do. There's nothing you can do to stop that. That is that is evolution. It's the yeah. nature of how this works. Natural selection. Exactly. And so we know that when we develop an antibiotic, that over time, that antibiotic is going to become less and less effective. And so these are resources that uh, have to be renewed over time because bacteria will develop resistance to them. So that, you know, makes them different from every other medication that we use. You know, we can uh, approve we are using drugs for to treat things like high blood pressure that have been effective for 50 years and they're still every bit as effective today as they were 50 years ago. Right. Penicillin is not nearly as effective today as it was 50 years ago. And so that makes antibiotics really special among all the drugs that we use. 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, when you don't, you know, when you take, uh, uh, you know, an ibuprofen or an aspirin, it's not like your, you know, headache is going to fight back against that. And then <laughs> and then after a while, I mean, let, let's uh, let's just go over it quickly for uh, uh, folks who, who don't know how it works. My, my understanding is the way the resistance develops is that, you know, antibiotics, uh, you know, kill bacteria. And of course, there's a couple bacteria that are just sort of like, you know, resistant, uh, you know, out of whatever, you know, one out of a million or, or whatever the number is. Um, and so once you've killed almost all of the bacteria with the uh, antibiotic, then the the bacteria that are left are, are de facto the ones that have a resistance, and those are able to sort of end up multiplying and uh, uh, over time end up sort of becoming the dominant population in that bacteria, right? And that just as you were saying, that's how evolution works in a way. That is exactly right. That's that's perfectly explained. Oh well, thank you, thank you so much. That makes me feel really good. I, it, I mean, it's yeah, you're, you're literally selecting for in in evolutionary terms the resistant bacteria when you use a uh, an antibiotic like that. Um, and uh, yeah, that's yeah, it's true. I can't think of a single other drug that would work that way. So, so how there, big- there isn't, and you know, there, there's one other thing that that I'll mention here that that also makes antibiotics special. And I, I I love to to talk about you know why antibiotics are are so special because they really are different. You know, people are like oh well yeah, other drugs are important too, and I'm like yeah, but my drugs are different, right? My <laughs> drugs are more special than your drugs. So the other thing about antibiotics that makes them unique. So they're they're a finite resource. They're also the only drugs that we use where how I use them for you can impact how effective they are for other people. So what do I mean by that? Well, if I give you an antibiotic and create a resistant organism in you and then you get admitted to a hospital or you go home and you spread that resistant organism to other people, and we know that happens. It can happen uh, in, in all sorts of different settings. It happens in hospitals. It happens out in the community. But now when you spread that resistant organism to someone else, the antibiotic that I gave you won't work for them. And that is a huge difference. You know, there's no other drug that, that has that effectiveness. You know, if I mistreat your hypertension, that's bad for you, but it doesn't impact anybody else. But if I mistreat your infections, I could be not only harming you, I can be harming people all around you. Wow. Yeah, that's uh yeah, again I I can't yeah, I can't think of a single other drug that works that way. Is is there also an issue when people are given you know, an antibiotic that they that they don't need. I mean, is that uh, is that also an issue? Yeah, that is an issue, and, and this is a huge problem. And, and this is really gets to the crux of what we're working so hard to try and improve. We know that antibiotics are very frequently given when they're not needed, and that happens every place that antibiotics are used. Right? It happens. Uh, in doctors' offices, in pediatricians' offices. It happens in hospitals. It happens in nursing homes. And you know, Adam, we estimate, and this has been looked at over and over again uh, in all of these different settings, that about a third, 30% of all of the antibiotics that we prescribe are not necessary. Wow. And that's a pretty staggering number, right? It's not one out of a hundred or you know one out of a million. This is one out of three. A third of all antibiotic use uh, is not necessary. And the thing about it is, is that this is actually causing harm. You know, these antibiotics 
when you take them, they have side effects, right? So they, they kill off your good bacteria. And right. we're increasingly understanding, you know, how important our good bacteria are in keeping us healthy and actually protecting us from disease. You know, I think mm-hmm. we used to have this really simplistic understanding of, you know, bacteria bad, antibiotic good. Um, and now we understand, well, wait a minute, these bacteria that are on my skin and in my gut are actually doing some really important things for me uh, in terms of keeping me healthy. And if I take an antibiotic, and I don't need that antibiotic, it's killing all these good bacteria, and that's creating risks for me. And we know they're like any medication, right? You wouldn't take a high blood pressure medication if you didn't have high blood pressure. Why? Well, because it's got side effects. It's going to do bad things to you. Antibiotics are the same way. They cause rashes. They cause diarrhea. They cause yeast infections. So these are drugs that you don't want to take if you don't need them. Right, but they're uh, and I think the gut biome stuff is so interesting. We had uh, a, a doctor named Jerry Mullins on our show who talked to us about that on our uh, wellness episode, especially in relation to like colon cleanses and things like that. That you don't want to flush everything out of there, and and they're actually like you know uh, people have symptoms from not having enough gut bacteria. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, so if I'm take if I take an antibiotic that I don't need, can that also Create a resistant uh, bacteria, or is that a risk as well of taking a? Absolutely, you know, anytime you take an antibiotic, there's this risk of of resistance developing, and you know, when you need an antibiotic, that that's a risk that we have to take. All medicines have risks, and we know that, and we accept that. The issue is, is that if you take one when you don't need it, you're exposing yourselves to all of the risks and getting zero benefit, and that is something that we really want people to understand. That, you know, why would you want to do that? You know, so if you don't need an antibiotic, if you go into the, the your doctor's office or your pediatrician's office and tell you, hey, you know, antibiotics not necessary here. You have a viral infection or you, what is going on with you isn't an infection at all. You don't need antibiotics. You know, a lot of times we hear people will say, well, but, you know, just in case, I, I really want that antibiotic. I think it's going to help me feel better. What we want people to understand is that you're actually not doing yourself any favors by uh, asking for or demanding or trying to get that antibiotic. In fact, you're probably doing yourself more harm. Right. Uh, and it's really, I want to get getting back to the uh, really quickly the idea of, you know, these as a limited resource. It's really like. Anytime someone uh, is taking an antibiotic, there's like enough of a chance that it's going to create resistance that it really is like every single pill that we take uh, of these medications is diminishing their effectiveness a little bit and sort of getting us closer to that date where that entire population of bacteria is becoming resistant. Is that right? You you know, that's exactly right. And I I think that's a really good way of thinking about it is that, you know, these are drugs we need and they're drugs that we have to use every day. And we want to make sure that we're using them as carefully as we possibly can. So what are the reasons that people uh, overprescribe them? Right? I mean, it, you said you, you sort of just raised the idea of the you know person who has the misconception that, oh, I need an antibiotic for anything, and they'd go demand it from their doctor. Uh, but, you, you know, and I'm sure that's a big part of the phenomenon. What else goes into it? 
Yeah, you know, and it's it, it it's a lot, and that that is one part that we hear from uh, from clinicians that oh well, will people ask for them and they want them or they demand them. We also know that there there's a lot of misperceptions on on our side as well on on the side of, of prescribers of doctors. Uh, sometimes doctors aren't familiar with. Uh, you know how they should be using antibiotics correctly. They maybe don't know the the symptoms that would require an antibiotic in a certain type of infection versus ones that don't need an antibiotic, where it would be safe just to wait uh, and let the infection run its course, or to wait a few days to see what's going to happen. A lot of times in hospitals too, what we see is you know when patients get admitted to hospitals, they're oftentimes they're very ill, and doctors will start antibiotics. Just in case, and that's totally appropriate. You know, when you come into the hospital and you're you're very ill, we want to get those antibiotics into you very quickly. You know, there are some very serious infections, uh, things like sepsis, which is an infection that I think people are coming to hear about more and understand better and better. When you have sepsis, you need antibiotics right away. Yeah, and we want people to do that. We want them to start antibiotics when they are concerned about a serious infection. But what happens in the hospital is that sometimes antibiotics will get started. We're not exactly sure what's going on. You know, does this patient have sepsis or is there something else going on? And after a couple of days, you know, the, the dust has usually settled. We have, you know, gotten some data from the lab. Hopefully we have some uh, microbiology data. Maybe we took some samples and sent them to the lab to see if there are, in fact, bacteria that are causing the infection. And what we tell providers is that, you know, after a couple of days, we call it an antibiotic timeout. You know, take a pause, look at your information, and think about whether or not you need to continue that antibiotic. Because what we found is that all too often, the antibiotic gets started. After a couple of days, it's pretty well recognized that the patient didn't have an infection and the antibiotics aren't needed, but then no one stops them. You know, they just kind mm. of continue um, until someone, either the patient leaves or someone else comes, you know, a week or two later and says, wait a minute, why is this person still on antibiotics? And then it turns out, oh, well, we thought they had an infection when they came in and, you know, we never stopped them. So there are, you know, a number of, of different factors that contribute to the overuse of antibiotics. And, you know, the good news is, Adam, that there there's great examples of people who have found ways to improve all of these different things that we're talking about. So what we really now need is we have the way, we need the will. We really right. need people to commit to, you know, taking these steps, learning how to make these improvements, and then making them. It really, it almost seems as though antibiotics are so, you know, common and so important to medicine and so much, you know, uh, this sort of first barrier, you know, this this first weapon we have in our fight against disease that they're almost overprescribed just because, hey, let's just rub antibiotics over every problem because you need it most of the time, so let's just give them to everybody. It's almost the, it almost feels like it's a default in a way. I mean, in the same way that people say, I have a cold, I need to take antibiotics. People just want them for everything, hey, just in case. You, you know, I, I think that antibiotics are they're, – they're a victim of their own success. I mean yeah. these are drugs that are so revolutionarily effective and work – you know, when you have a bacterial infection, like, you know, if you have ever taken your kid in uh, with strep throat, I, I mean – it, it is truly a miracle drug. I mean, here your kid goes in with that ear infection or strep throat, and they're just miserable and high fevers, and they feel awful. And you give them this drug, and 24 hours later, they're back to normal. I mean, 
it's really it's dramatic. And I mean, I think that, you know, we take it for granted. I mean, those early folks who had this, they really must have felt like what this really is a a miracle. And I think we underappreciate that. But you're right. I think they are such a victim of that success. They're so good that anytime we feel bad, we're like, but yeah, you know, I just want that antibiotic because when I had that bacterial infection, it made me feel better so fast Mm. that even if there's a minute, remote fraction of a chance that it could do it again, I want it. Right. And then maybe the doctor is saying, the doctor who hasn't come around to this is saying, uh, well, you know, we don't see a bacterial infection, but uh, maybe there's one anyway. Let's just, let's just keep them on the antibiotics just in case it'll shut anything down, perhaps. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, so let me, let me ask you, uh, th- there's a couple, uh, you know, I think people have heard a little bit about this issue, but not too much. You know, there's a lot of like bits of common wisdom we pass around or, or common fears people have that I'd, that I'd love uh, to get a final, you know, verdict on you here straight from the horse's mouth. The idea that uh, when we get, uh, you know, when you're prescribed a course of antibiotics, that you should always finish them even though they feel better. Uh, e- sorry, even though you feel better uh, because, you know, hey, you want to make sure you kill all the, all the bacteria and not leave a little bit left alive. Is that uh, good advice or is that something that, that people shouldn't be doing? You know, so that that's something that I think there's been some recent controversy on that, right? I'm sure you've oh, really? seen these reports where people yeah. are saying, well, maybe we're, we're doing a, a disservice. You know, we say in the hospital, you know, you should be reassessing that therapy and stopping it after a couple of days if it's not needed. So, you know, shouldn't we be doing that uh, for people who are in clinics as well? And maybe if you feel better, you should stop. And the thing is, is that we, we want the infection needs to be treated for the right amount of time. And this is always the challenge. How long is the right amount of time? And what we tell people is, you know, if you if you feel better and you think you want to stop taking your antibiotic, that's a discussion you should have with your provider. Because if you did have a bacterial infection and you undertreat that infection, then, you know, the infection could come right back. And so you could end up, you know, right back where you started from. So we really don't want people to stop taking antibiotics just because they feel better. So yes, you know, that advice that take the course as it's prescribed really is important advice. And I think the the change to that might be if you feel like you want to stop, you should talk with your doctor. Okay, that's <laughs> you know that honestly, uh, whenever we get into medical advice on the show, that always uh, <laughs> that's always where it ends up is like, hey, there is no you know that bit of common wisdom. Well, it's right in some cases, wrong in other cases. You got to talk to your doctor, and uh, yeah, I mean, I guess as it should be uh, because yeah, we shouldn't be assessing our infection rates just based on like, hey, I feel a little bit perkier today. Maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll stop taking my prescription. It needs to be with the consultation of a of a medical professional such as yourself. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I think you know these are these are kind of uh, one by one cases, and, and you know if if you want to stop it, we just tell people just don't categorically stop it because the last thing we want is right. someone who you know has an infection to get that infection undertreated, and then the infection comes right back. Well, I'm here talking to Arjun Srinivasan. We'll be back in just a moment, so please stick around. everybody. I'm your oldest brother, Justin McElroy. I'm your middlest brother, Travis McElroy. And I'm your sweet baby brother, Griffin McElroy. Me and 3,000 of your closest friends just found your next podcast obsession. Cereal! Okay, but like, the second best podcast. Oh, f- just listen to my brother, my brother, and me on MaximumFun.org. There you go. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you.
Welcome back to Anna Ruins Everything, the podcast. I'm here talking to CDC Associate Director Arjun Srinivasan. Um, okay, so here's another one. A lot of people uh, are concerned now, and you know, this is sort of again a sort of folk concern I hear from when I talk to people about about you know, oh, I don't want to go to the hospital because they're a breeding ground for superbugs. I'm going to get a <laughs> superbug in the hospital, and uh, you know that there's people have this sort of idea in their heads uh, of. That hospitals are sort of like uh, there's an epidemic of horrible diseases that the hospital itself can't treat floating around the hospital. Is that a real concern? Is that something people should be worried about or – well, you know, they they certainly should be concerned about the problem of, of antibiotic resistance, and and there is definite truth to that statement. There's, you know, like any of these uh, these types of things, there's a kernel of truth in there, and the issue is is that hospitals are the place where we see the most serious of these highly resistant bacteria, these so-called superbugs. And the reason is that, you know, in a hospital, you, duh, have lots of sick people who have lots of infections and who are on lots of antibiotics and who are in, you know, close proximity to each other, receiving care from people who, who are moving from person to person and equipment that might be moving from person to person. So there are risks of things spreading. And uh, yes, we have seen you know some pretty serious issues with uh, these antibiotic-resistant bacteria, these superbugs in hospitals. We are also seeing hospitals taking a lot of steps to prevent these infections from developing in the first place. You know, they're really taking steps to improve antibiotic use to try to prevent the superbugs from developing, and they're taking steps to prevent them from spreading. So, you know, I always tell people, you know, yes, there are definite concerns. You are right to be concerned. The hospital itself should be concerned. I would never want to go into a hospital that wasn't concerned about Mm. the problem of antibiotic resistance. And I always tell people, you know, if you're worried, Talk to the the folks when you get into the hospital. Talk to your nurse, uh, to the doctors who see you, and find out. You know, I've read about this. I heard about it on uh, Adam's show. Tell me what you're doing to keep me safe. Uh, And they should have a good answer to that. They should be able to tell you the things that they're doing to improve uh, the way antibiotics are used, how they're keeping you safe from, from infections. And they should empower you. They should be telling you, well, you know, Remind us to wash our hands. That's such a fundamentally important thing. Right. So effective at preventing the spread of disease. And hey, you know, we're all human. Um, we forget sometimes to, to wash our hands. And so it's great to have that reminder from the patient. Go ahead, Adam. Oh, well, I, I noticed that uh, – I've just noticed that as a recurring theme when, when I've spoken to doctors recently. I think when we had uh, Dr. Joanne Elmore on our show to talk about breast cancer and she appeared on our show and, and she made a point of that she wanted to uh, be seen washing her hands on camera because she personally uh, you know, had a mission behind having more clinicians wash their hands. I find that so interesting that it's such a basic piece of hygiene, but you have – it seems like a little bit of a movement within uh, uh, the doctor community of everyone going like, hey, we got to wash our hands more. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that's been quite a movement because, you know, very depressingly, maybe not as recent as a a decade or so ago, when we would go in and do studies to find out how often people were washing their hands, they were doing it about 
half the time that they were supposed to. Wow. Um, and and that was that was in some of the best case scenarios. You know, there were studies where where physicians uh, physicians are we're the worst at everything, right? So all of these things when they ask, you know, how often do you do? It's always the doctors who come in last, uh, and including for washing our hands. You know, we were doing it about a third of the time when we were supposed to be. Wow. And you know, this was something we were like, good good heavens! You know, we've known about the effectiveness of this for over a hundred years. There was no debate, zero. There was nobody out there who's going to say, oh, I, I think it's a waste of time, right? <laughs> Yet we weren't doing it. And why? It's, you know, it's, it's, it's complex. You know, we're seeing a lot of patients. You're moving from thing to thing. You're thinking right. about all of the different things you need to do. Um, and so sometimes I, I think people just forget. Uh, and so all of these things that we can do, these visual cues of you know the show of, yes, I'm washing my hands in front of you because it reminds us both that this is important and I need to do it. Mm. You know, the empowering patients to say, you know, ask your provider, did you wash your hands? And it's that that reminder. Um, and if you did, then you can tell them that, yes, I just did or, oops, I forgot. Let me do it right now. You, um, so we are, are seeing that. Are you concerned about that? Putting the beginning of a doctor visit, you know, you're 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 seeing a new specialist, and they're the you know they're the high powered uh, you know specialist at the hospital or whatever, and they come in, and the first thing you say, "Did you wash your hands, sir?" Like, are uh, we like, causing a little friction? You know, it, it's tough, and 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 so you know we we talk about this a lot. It's like, oh, just you know. It, just ask your doctor. It's not an easy thing to do. I mean, right. you know what I do, right? So my my job is help. I work on preventing healthcare associated infections, right? So clean hands are one of the most fundamentally important things that relate to what I do. And even I, when I go in, I'm like, oh, should I say anything? It's 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 not easy to do. Mm-hmm. And you know, I've seen these great places where they're actually training the the medical staff, the providers, the nurses, the doctors, on how to answer that question or responds to that comment when a patient says, have you cleaned your hands? And I saw this great training, super short training where they said, look, here's the thing. There are only two acceptable things that can come out of your mouth when a patient says or a loved one says, have you washed your hands? You can either say, yes, I just did. Thank you. Or you can say, thanks for reminding me I didn't. I'll do it now. That's it. And they said, if we catch anything else coming out of your mouth, you're going to get in trouble because we are trying to empower patients. And we that means we have to actually empower them. I like the idea that, even you know, because being a, a doctor is a very, you know, highly educated, very powerful position. I like the idea that that even doctors need to be reminded of these things by by uh, everyone needs to sort of play mother to them and and make sure that they're doing it. Well, let's let's talk about uh, you know the overall again. Let's get back to this idea of uh, antibiotics, like potentially running out. I mean, is that uh, you know broadly is that a real concern? Are 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 you concerned at all? Uh, I know you know you're taking many steps to uh, combat it, but are you concerned about the idea that you know our the availability of antibiotics could slip back in a broad way? You know, I, I would say it's it's not it's not just a theoretical concern, Adam. It's 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 happening. I mean, we have patients in hospitals today, uh, this day, who don't have antibiotic options left to them. They have infections that we can't really treat. 
So wow. this is something – it's not common. It's, it's very, very unusual. But you know, you'd know, you be hard-pressed to find uh, a, a doctor like me. I'm an infectious disease specialist. And most of us have had at least a case or two where there really wasn't an effective antibiotic therapy for a patient. And so this is something that – you know, it, it's not a theoretical, oh, this might happen someday. There are patients now who have bacterial infections that we either can't treat well because they're resistant to almost all antibiotics, or in some rare cases, we can't treat at all. Uh, and that's why you see, you know, patients with, you know, really serious infections. Patients are dying of these infections that would have been treatable several years ago, but now the patient is, is going to die from the infection because we don't have an infective, effective antibiotic. And so uh, is it not possible to create new antibiotics? Uh, I, I mean, it, it, it seems like if this, is a, if this is the most fundamental medicine and we're running out of them, that we should be working overtime to create more of them. Yeah, and and people are. There are a lot of companies that are working very hard to invent new antibiotics. The the challenge is is that the the development of these drugs really stalled for quite a while. Uh, there was a time period when you know nobody was inventing new antibiotics. You know, there's mm-hmm. not a great uh, one of the big challenges is that there's not a great business case to be made. To be honest, for inventing a new antibiotic, you know, these are drugs that you know people use for a very limited amount of time. So if you're a big company and you have a responsibility to your shareholders to make money, you know, which drug are you going to invent? Uh, the drug that treats your high blood pressure that you have to take every day for the rest of your life or the drug that you're only going to take occasionally when you have an infection for five to seven days? You know, it's, it's kind of a pretty no-brainer as a business decision. Um, and so now what we're seeing, though, is a lot of smaller companies who are jumping into the, the field to develop antibiotics. And we're also seeing incentives. You know, there's a lot of work that's being done. There's money being kind of put in by the government, not just the U.S. government, but governments around the world where they're saying, look, you know, these are really important drugs. And we need to do what we can do to spur the innovation and get people developing these drugs. The challenge, of course, is that it takes a long time. It takes a long time to go from the first discovery of something that might be a drug to actually having a pill that someone can take. And so while we're seeing a lot of exciting work in this area, uh, it's going to be a long time before we have you know, this new armamentarium of many, many new antibiotics. And you know, one of the other challenges I tell people – is that you know the, the situation that we're we're in right now? It's like driving your car over a road with a bunch of potholes. Um, when you when your car breaks down, the answer is not oh I need a new car, right? It's you got to fix the road first. So if we keep prescribing drugs the way that we're doing right now, and then we reintroduce new drugs, well, it's like driving your new car over those same potholes. Right. So while while we're developing these new drugs, we really have to fix the road. We have to improve the way we use the antibiotics so that when we get those new drugs, they last us for a long, long time. So we don't just use all those up as well. But Exactly at, right. At the same time, I see your point, like especially if you're a company that's making drugs and you make a new antibiotic, but – it, the it it is has to be very carefully used and not used that often. That doesn't benefit you as a business either. 
Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And that's, you know, one of the reasons why people have said, well, you know, the, the traditional kind of um, market, the way we sell things uh, is probably not the right one for antibiotics because, you know, right now our model is the more you sell, the better you do. Uh, and here's a drug where the more we sell and the more we use, the faster it runs out. Right. And we actually need to we, we actually sort of need some control over over how we use it. Uh, that's right. Well, so if we don't address this problem, uh, you know, on a on a broad scale, what are the what are the risks? I mean, we're talking about, uh, you know, we talked about on our show the end of antibiotics. Yeah. Uh, what does that look like? You know, so you know what it looks like is that simple infections become deadly again, right? So um, when you get pneumonia or a skin infection. Um, now, rather than saying, oh, gosh, you know, I, I might have pneumonia. I'm going to need to go see the doctor and take an antibiotic and get well. Now it's, oh, my gosh, I have pneumonia. I could die from this infection because there's no treatment for me. It means that doing chemotherapy becomes either dangerous or even impossible in some circumstances. You know, you can't um, completely uh, remove someone's immune system without having effective antibiotics. You know, a lot of these patients who are getting the most aggressive types of chemotherapy, we put them on antibiotics when we start giving them the chemotherapy to prevent infections from happening because we know they are at such high risk for getting infections that we have to put them on these antibiotics kind of prophylactically. Well, if you don't have antibiotics, you can't do that. Um, there are risks from surgery. Surgery becomes much more risky. So I tell people, you know, it's not only will people uh, suffer and die from common infections that are treatable today, and that in and of itself is a huge problem, but it risks completely undermining de the delivery of much of modern medicine. And that's what a world with no antibiotics looks like. Wow. I mean, that's – yeah, it, it... <laughs> You know, even the most basic surgeries, I imagine, rely on antibiotics just because, hey, you're opening somebody up and some bacteria could fall in there that, you know, you need to make sure that they uh, uh, that they're protected against infection. Uh, I mean, is that that's what we're talking about. That's 100 percent correct. So, you know, wow. in, in most surgical procedures, you know, we, we know that there's a high risk there because, like you said, we're cutting open the skin. And so, again, we give people antibiotics prophylactically when at the time right before they cut you open – they give you a dose of antibiotics. And we know that in many surgeries, that uh, antibiotic that you get before the incision is made is tremendously infect effective in reducing your risk of getting an infection. So no antibiotic, the risk of infection goes up dramatically. Yeah, that's, this is almost as though we were talking about like the end of anesthesia in terms of... It really is. I mean, it's kind of, you know, the end of antibiotics in many ways equals the end of modern medicine. Whew. All right. Uh, well, that's a uh, uh, very troubling prospect. Um, I'm very much on board with making sure that that doesn't happen. Uh, what can we be doing to help make sure that doesn't happen? Yeah, well, you know, Adam, the good news is that there's a lot that we can do to, to prevent this from, from becoming worse. You know, as providers, there's a lot that we can do. First and foremost, we can do exactly what we've been talking about here, which is improving the way that we prescribe antibiotics, knowing when they're indicated, knowing when they're not. We can keep our hands clean to prevent the risk of, of spreading these infections from 
keep from person to person. And we can do things to prevent infections from happening in the first place. For example, if we put a catheter into somebody, we can take it out as soon as it's not needed uh, to reduce the risk of infection. We can recommend vaccines to people that will help prevent infections. And as patients, you know, we've got lots that we can do as well. You know, keeping our hands clean is just as important to patients as it is for, for our healthcare providers. We can also, like we talked about earlier, not demand or expect or ask for antibiotics when we've been told, hey, your infection doesn't really need an antibiotic. Um, and we can also, you know, make sure that we get our recommended vaccines. You know, get your flu shot every year. Do the things that can keep you healthy. And that means you won't go into the doctor with a fever with something that might or might not need an antibiotic. So these are all the basic types of steps and the things that we can do that can uh, can keep us healthy uh, and that'll reduce our chances of getting exposed to an antibiotic and help address this problem of antibiotic resistance. That all that sounds I mean first of all that's that's all wonderful advice and I I, I and I you know applaud you also for being an advocate on it. Um, I'm also curious cuz on our show we often talk about uh, issues that we can address through individual action and then issues where, you know, the, the what needs to be addressed is sort of cultural is the way that we as a culture think about, you know, going through a certain practice. So I think that would be, yeah, what expectations patients have for uh, antibiotics uh, or, you know, how clinicians are using them. I'm also curious if, you know, there are any sort of more systemic uh, recommendations you would make to address this. Is there anything that, you know, the government could be doing or our, you know, pharmaceutical industry could be doing, you know, in order to uh, get their hands around it? Yeah, absolutely. And so there, there is a lot that's happening kind of at the, at the national level, at the policy level. We've seen a couple of, of states that have passed laws that actually require hospitals to uh, start programs that can improve the use of antibiotics in hospitals. We call those antibiotic stewardship programs. And there's a, the, the largest national organization that accredits or certifies hospitals has a similar requirement. And so these are steps that are being taken to require that that infrastructure be in place to help us improve antibiotic use. The government, through the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, has passed a similar requirement for nursing homes to improve the way antibiotics are used. And we're also seeing that under some of the new payment models that uh, CMS is developing, they're actually taking some steps to have some new incentive for outpatient practices, for doctors to improve the way that they prescribe medications in outpatient practices. So we are seeing, you know, at the at the highest level, at the national level, this kind of combination of, of incentives and requirements that I think is really going to be transformative in improving the way we use antibiotics. So are you optimistic about the future? I mean, you sound like an optimistic guy, but this is a topic where, you know, you see, uh, you know, the the odd magazine article that's saying, oh, you know, the, the antibiotic apocalypse is coming. We'll all be killed by the superbug. Uh, then there's the very rosy view. You know, where do you fall on sort of a scale from uh, uh, rosy to terrifying in terms of how you feel like we're going to be situated, you know, 20 years from now? Right. You know, I, I think that there is, is, is definite uh, support for cautious optimism here. I think that there's a <laughs> lot that's happening um, and that's all good. And there's a lot that needs to be done. And so this is one of those things where you know we, we cannot let our foot off the gas. You know I think we really have hit the accelerator uh, over the last few years. Um, but you know we've got a long way to go and we need to get there quickly. So, so we absolutely can't afford to let up. 
Well, it makes me it'll make me sleep a little better at night knowing that, you know, you're out there and, and folks like you beating the drum on this, that there's a there's a man in uniform uh, uh, who's who's aware of this issue and is, is trying to address it. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show, Arjun. I really you appreciate bet, it. Adam. We are here anytime. We would love to anything we can do to help out. Uh, love the way that you're getting this message out, and we're, we're eager to help. Well, thank you once again to Arjun for coming on the show. I hope you guys love that interview as much as I did. And that is it for this week's Adam Ruins Everything, the podcast. We will be back in just two weeks, so please tune in then. Our producer is Shara Morris. If you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend about our podcast and subscribe to us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app, whatever it may be. And don't forget to leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe. Once again, you can find clips and full episodes of Adam Ruins Everything, the TV show show at truetv.com slash Adam Ruins Everything and the Watch True TV app. And you can follow me on Twitter at, at Adam Conover. And hey, if you want to watch me play video games, I do that at Adam Conover on twitch.tv. Until then, we'll see you in two weeks. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.